It's another bisexual brunch with Nikki Hodgson, Lewis Oakley, and me, Ashley Byrne. If nobody was told what you were meant to do, if there weren't any rules, we would be living in a totally different format. We as journalists and activists have always found it very difficult to find people who will openly talk about being bisexual. Just don't think there are enough bi perspectives on bi issues. I feel like we've got to talk about it because we're really comfortable doing that. It can be really intimidating. Bisexuality is not really understood because people have biphobic tendencies. And the second you mention bisexual, just their ears pick up. Oh, well, you're still confused, right? No, I'm not confused. I've always found myself at the mercy of gay and straight advice. You can have a bit of competition to see who's the better bisexual bruncher. This is Bisexual Brunch. So it's another bisexual brunch um, and it's uh, great to be here. I've been uh, in the wars. Um, This time last year I was suffering from uh, covid and 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 this time I've um, I've had sepsis, so uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a weird old time. I went a bit delirious, uh, found that there was an infection on my leg, and um, yeah, just very lucky to be here, really. So uh, um, thank you guys for uh, bearing with me over the last uh, last few weeks. Um, I hope your lives have been a little bit uh, brighter. I know you just celebrated. Uh, your 38th birthday, Nikki. You're catching me up. <laughs> Ashley, that's so funny. You've just had like a life-threatening illness, but you have remembered exactly how old I am to tell everybody else. It's true that I didn't put it on social media because I'm, I'm not funny about my age, actually. I'm not. But uh, other people are. But that doesn't bother me. Yeah, 38. I'm having a little party this afternoon. Uh, just getting everyone together in the pub. It's a good Not age. Nothing glamorous. It's a good age, nothing. 38. Good age. Savour yeah, it. Yeah, it is a good it. age. I'm very optimistic about it, actually. And I, again, lucky to be here in some ways, too. So, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You've been through a hell of a lot as well, of course, over the, over the years. Lewis, are you 30 yet? Yeah, I just turned 30 last week. Oh, oh last week? So, okay, all right, okay. Yeah. okay. We have a double birthday. I always forget this. Sorry, Lewis, I did forget. Happy birthday, darling. <laughs> Thank you. So, I mean, I was, uh, I mean, turning 30 was a big one. It was like, oh my God, like, does, what's going to happen? But um, <laughs> it's actually been like a mad, a mad week. Like, so literally my last working day of my 20s, I got promoted, which was a great way to hey. like, boom, drop my, get a promotion. All good. Um and yeah, it just feels like loads of things have just kind of like, like actually loads of things in my life have actually just turned a corner, like at 30, which is quite strange. But yeah, I mean, I was not happy about turning 30, but I do think if you're going to turn 30, you know, I'm engaged, have two kids, have a good job, have all the bisexual stuff going on. I'm like, actually, like this feels like the right time to turn 30. Yeah, your apprenticeship, <laughs> your, your, your apprenticeship is over. Your 20s are your apprenticeship. You've, you've arrived now. Your 30s are, I think 30s is great, a great period. 30s are great. Yeah. I've loved 30s. Definitely. I am looking forward to 40s, but I've got a li- I need to pack a little bit more in. People, treat you, pe- people treat you slightly differently. Yeah, they from do. From 40 onwards. It's in a weird. good way, with more respect, I think. Well, yes and no. You don't? Yes, some, it depends. It depends. Sometimes depends they do, sometimes they don't. I feel things shift like you get a little bit more a little bit more respect not a huge amount but a little well, bit more yeah fingers fingers crossed it happens to you because of course for a lot of women when they get a bit older of course and they get into the 50s and 60s it goes the other way yeah you Be- become invisible yeah exactly you know so that's yeah. that's the that's you're going to have double invisibility Nikki as well so. yeah I'm, I'm actually like <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day because I don't get as many wolf whistles and looks anymore, you know, and that's fine. I'm perfectly happy with that. In fact, actually, it's a big relief because it was really annoying getting on the tube every day and people eyeing you up in your 20s. 
And people don't do that now. And actually, it's it's just kind of relieving. My mum always tells me that you become totally invisible. And that is a bit of a worry. But I just don't think... I'm such a big mouth. How are people going to not pay attention to me? And I just have to get even louder. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do to compensate. But yeah, I'm not really worried about that. <laughs> no, you, you, and you're looking good for 38. You're looking good for 30, Lewis. Thanks, <laughs> right, let's talk about bisexuality then. And, and, and coming up on this edition of Bisexual Brunch... A bi couple from Kentucky in the United States join us for the latest bisexual personal journey story. It took Tony and Anne 18 years to finally confront bisexuality in their own relationship. It's a fascinating, enlightening and I must say an inspirational story. And that's coming up a bit later on on this bisexual brunch. Also, a nod to something you can still hear um, online. Openly bi Paralympic athlete Jude Hamer spoke to me about being a bi role model, among other things, recently. And you could hear our chat in a Paralympic special by trawling through the Bisexual Brunch podcast feed. And in future weeks, with a special interview coming up with an actor who made history 50 years ago this year in an Oscar-nominated British film, which was possibly the first to have bisexuality at its heart. Murray Head played the male bi interest for Peter Finch as a middle-aged gay man and Glenda Jackson as a middle-aged straight woman in the groundbreaking Sunday Bloody Sunday in 1971. But did the film do justice to bisexuality? Or was it really a missed opportunity? Murray will be giving us his verdict in future weeks. Please uh, stay tuned for that really, really interesting interview. So that's to come in future weeks, plus lots of personal journey stories, including the first from a bi man in a gay-facing relationship like me. All that's to come later and in future weeks. But now there's a few issues to talk about uh, for this programme. We've got Bi Visibility uh, Day coming up, and this is Bi Awareness Month, I think. Um, what do you feel about it? Because again, I know, you know, we keep talking about more needs to be done and we need to maybe collectively do something. And I do feel as though it's very, it's, you know, compared compared to Pride Month and all the other things, I do feel as though a lot of it is very token. It just doesn't feel as though there's anything really, I feel as though we need to do more to come together and shout about this. I mean, maybe by Visibility Day, you know, the three of us will probably get called on the odd phoning or whatever and we'll talk about it and that kind of thing. But it'll be forgotten about again. I just feel as though, you know, we are still the also-rams. Do you know what I mean? In that sense, when it comes to bisexuality. And some of the surveys that have come out, which we'll talk about in a moment, just to prove that, really. You know, we, we still are just not really taken that seriously, are we, Lewis? We're not. Um, Biovisibility Day is 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 really important, I think. And to be to be fair, like I I really need to focus on it. Like I, I need to start pitching and getting out and speaking to everyone I've ever spoken to. Be like, look, it's coming up. We like we'd love to get bisexuality talked about because the way I always see it is it's just one big day to kind of say listen, and it's saying listen to everyone. It's saying listen to bisexual people. It's saying listen to bisexual people in the closet. It's saying listen to straight people, to gay people. Like, look, we're just gonna tell you about this. If like. All the other days of the year, you know, <laughs> we're still trying, but you're not probably not going to hear it. But this is one day where we say, you know, come on, listen, like put it in the news agenda. Let's go. Um, so I do think it's really important. I think it just needs all of us by people to be as focused and, and all try and do something. But also it does need a lot of gatekeepers to say, yeah, actually, we will do something for it. So, you know, there are some some sometimes people come to us 
Um, but I do think this year I'm going to try and be as proactive as possible offering people pieces, offering to go on, do interviews. Let's just go. I think as bisexual brunch in that week around the 23rd, we should we should reach out to several outlets and just say, look, we're here, you know, talk to us. Um, it's important that you talk to people who know what the hell they're talking about, you know what I mean? Nikki, what's mm. your take on it? Yeah, I just think this year is probably more important than it's ever been because of Pride being cancelled. I mean, I know not every Pride was cancelled, okay. London Pride was cancelled, some regional Prides were cancelled. I know Manchester Pride went ahead, for example. But... Because we haven't really had time to celebrate as a community, what community there is, and that's a whole other discussion, it's even more important than ever to be, you know, out there if we can be. And I totally agree with Lewis, it's a case of us getting in front of people, because I think, I still think, you know, I've worked in news for years and been a journalist for a long time, when it comes to the planning, and they're looking through the calendar of what days are coming up and what days they need to celebrate, they don't put by visibility day in there it still isn't taken seriously enough. So we are the people that have got to push that up the hill. That's how I see it anyway. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. But we are, you know, we as a, as a podcast are creating a, a community. You know, we've got a backlog now of dozens of interviews of people talking about and coming out to us and to the world for the first time about their sexuality. Um, women, men, people of different genders, lots of really interesting stories, which we've got to have coming up uh, um, through the, throughout the autumn, which is fantastic and really heartening when you speak to the, the, these different people. Um, but the one that strikes me more than anything, actually, is the, the men who seem to be um, in the closet and suffering. Um, there are women, there are people of different genders, but generally... Most of them that have been in touch with us are in a situation whereby they've managed to come out, they're feeling liberated and all the rest of it. But mo- but mainly men seem to be the ones who are finding it more difficult in different parts of the world and have seen us more as a, a lifeline more than anybody else, which, which is why studies that have come out this week, which I've just seen, um, saying that many gays and lesbians still don't believe male bisexuality is real, New studies suggest the erasure of male bisexuality is common amongst lesbian and gay individuals. That is really, really upsetting in 2021 that we're still at that situation. I thought we would have moved on a bit, but the, the, the statistics really do prove that, you know, there is a denial about male bisexuality. Why? Why, Lewis? Oh, um, how long's a piece of string? Um, you know, it has, there's so many different um, reasons, you know, one is that, you know, a lot of gay men themselves will have felt that they came out as bisexual to only come out as gay. They assume that's what everyone else is doing. Um, I think that ignorance breeds ignorance. So I don't know if any of you noticed this. I actually didn't notice it because I wasn't like, you know, on Twitter when you're added into something, I actually wasn't added in. It was the editor of um, a site that I wrote for called The London Economic. And basically someone had taken a screenshot of one of my articles, as always, from 2018. Um, and there was uproar about it. There was like 30,000 likes on this post. And the, the title of it, which fair enough, they sensationalized titles was, Should You Take the B Out of the LGBT? And everyone was like, how rude. And I was like, they think it's written by someone biphobic, like someone that hates bisexuals. It's written by an actual bisexual. And actually the concept isn't that crazy. Why on earth would we entrust our equality to people where we know that actually they don't really think we exist? There's actually that stigma there. It's not the craziest idea to say, actually, can we really trust these people? I know that there are some good people in that, you know, we're talking about, well, I'd like to say a small minority, but I think it's actually probably the majority of, pe- of, of people 
depending on what study you're looking at, in the LGBT that don't really rape bisexuality as a thing. So I don't know. And then we look around like, well, why will no one take it seriously? It's like, well, we tether a lot of what we do to this whole collective LGBT, which is great in some aspects, but if in some aspects they don't get it, then ha- then they're not going to fight for it that hard, are they? So I don't know if that's a rant, but I'm trying to answer your question there. We've had a few, um, I wouldn't say high profile, but sort of medium profile coming out. There's a, a footballer from a, a small team in in London who came out recently as bisexual and I think he got quite a lot of abuse for it actually but with a lot of support from his teammates and various other people so there is there is there's starting to be mention you know that there is, we, we do get we, we you know we got the whole thing about um Robin and you know Batman and Robin and all the rest of it but it all seems a bit fluffy and a bit sort of you know we need we need something we need to we need people need to we need to understand that bi men do exist and do have feelings and aren't just um part of this journey on on the way to being gay um or they're just literally playing at it or whatever we we need some representation we seem to have representation around women quite a lot of representation around by women nikki but we haven't got it around men have we yeah there's just something really weird going on for me from other people about our privileges as bi people. There's, I really feel that many of the lesbians and gay people that I've met feel very strongly that we just have it easier than them and therefore we don't really understand their struggles and therefore we don't really need the same protection under the umbrella. And not everyone, of course, we're, ne- we're never going to say this is everyone, but there's, there's always people who are always like, well, you're bisexual, so you can do this as well as this other thing. Whereas we're only gay and lesbian and we can only do, ex- you know, we, there's certain things that we can't do. So that has to be disabused somehow. And I'm still not sure how we do it. Well, obviously, we try and do it every week, partly in this. But there's always that zero-sum game of I have a harder life than you or you have a harder life than me. And that's a race to the bottom, as people always say. But there's got to be some kind of greater understanding about the similarities and a focus on the similarities between people under the umbrella and what we all go through, which is it is a sense of not belonging. It is a sense of being too different to be accepted, that certain conventional aspects of social life are going to be taken away from us, maybe marriage and children, because we don't fit the norm and other people are going to judge us for not fitting that. So we, I don't know, we've got to get better at connecting with other people that are L and G for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. Now, you yeah. just, you've just made a documentary series for Virgin, haven't you? And uh, yeah. what was your experience of that? I mean, I mean, in terms of the people you met and the people... I don't mean... To, obviously, you were meeting people who were bisexual, who were supportive and all the rest of it. But did you also meet along the way any kickback or people who were a bit sceptical or people within the team you were working, working with who didn't really understand it or... You know, what barriers did you see in terms of making that, in terms of, mm. for the future, in terms of what we're all doing, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, we were quite lucky in one respect in that we were very, we didn't have a lot of time like you never do with these things. So we were very focused in only contacting people that were out, out bisexuals and were happy to speak about their experiences. But what was interesting was none of them were particularly tapped into LGBT culture. And uh, maybe maybe one of them was, actually, maybe one of them was. But the majority of them didn't necessarily identify strongly in that, under that umbrella. And they didn't necessarily have lots of queer friends. And they didn't necessarily feel that they could 
turn up at a pride march march and they would know people you know it wasn't that kind of feeling so that that was interesting to me that they were all sort of lone wolves and that's something that we've talked about quite a lot before isn't it and they didn't none of them knew each other you know so that was an important factor even though that some of them move in the same circles like two politicians for example Michael Fabricant and Mandy Reid She's head of the Women's Equality Party. He's been a Tory MP for years. You'd think that if they both are in Parliament, they would know each other. They'd never heard of each other, pretty much. So that was curious to me, that they, they're obviously under the same label, they're carrying the same label, they're doing things under that label, but they don't necessarily know each other. But yeah, yeah, definitely. I think there's something about the lone wolf thing. And I think that's what we found, haven't we, with this with bisexual brunch and all the people we've spoken to. We always do this question, don't we? How many people do you know? Who are bisexual and very few people do so on well, that, you, know you know interesting one um my fiance the other day was like have you checked your youtube channel and i was like my what channel um and i have a youtube channel that i haven't used in ages but i just used to whenever i was on tv or radio interviews just used to like upload them to youtube so they have a longer a longer life and she was like it's really interesting you did like all of them haven't got that many views because i'm not a youtuber i'm not pushing them they're just there as like an archive and she's like one of them's got six thousand views um and in comparison to the others that are all under a thousand she's like that's insane and um apparently it was um the title was something like why why bisexuals can feel alone so if that's the thing that everyone's seeking out um it, it makes sense because you're totally right about the lone wolf thing that's and that is what i find quite hard um writing about bisexuality is everyone there's not really that much of a collective, of a collective identity. Everyone's shooting off in different directions. So whenever you try and write something about the bisexual experience, you can only really ever write about your own because people will be like, well, I, I don't do that. I'm bisexual, I didn't do that. And it's like, well, I know, because we're all scattering off in different directions. But maybe that's part of the fun that, you know, bisexuality literally can be anything. You can be incarnated into anything. It would be nice if we had a community though, and a bit more, uh, well, obviously we do have a community. There are bisexual communities, but I mean like, if more bisexual people felt part of a community. That's not to look down on, on the groups that do exist, but there isn't this big encompassing thing that I think there is for, for gay and lesbian absolutely. people. Absolutely, but the bizarre thing is, if people scratch me underneath the surface, we're probably bigger than any other any of those other collectives, do you know what I mean? That's the weird thing, isn't it? We're, we're, we're In a way, we're, we're huge, but somebody needs to just get a grip of that and say, look what's here. It's going to be interesting to find out you know, where we get with the statistics that are coming out later. It must be soon now that we're getting the uh, statistics from the um, census and things like that, surely. I mean, I know they won't be completely accurate, but it might indicate a a movement of some kind. Well, the three of us will be back later to talk about people getting bisexuality and pansexuality mixed up. But first, after this short break, we'll have our bisexual journey story for this particular episode of Bisexual Brunch. As we meet a bi couple, Tony and Anne will be talking to us from Kentucky. You're listening to the Bisexual Brunch Podcast. The autumn arrives on Distinct Nostalgia with a host of new soap, drama, comedy and entertainment treats including Casualty at 35. We mark the show's milestone birthday by meeting the woman who uttered the very first words. I think the first words were goodnight. 
<laughs> Seems good. ironic, but yes. <laughs> and then in actual birthday week, distinct nostalgia meets a woman who became one of the main female faces fans took to their heart for several decades. Kathy Shipton, who became Duffy. So you'd go into this rehearsal room. The whole room is laid out like the studio set. They've got it there and you haven't got a clue. And then they've got poles and they're saying the poles are the edge of the cubicles. So all of us will be going in going... And <laughs> my first shot, I walked in on the real set in BBC Studio D in White City and I went... And they went, Kath, you don't have to do that because there's a real curtain, you know, all of this ridiculousness. And we've other casualty blasts from the past as we repeat our conversation with Jonathan Kerrigan. And then there's some intriguing soap specials. We're meeting the first Tracy, Christabel Finch, who played the character from her birth in 1977. It felt very normal because it been like ever since I was a baby, I'd been there every single week filming. Get out of school, get out of the spelling test and go down to the studios. My friends were not very aware of it. And I remember one person saying to me, saying, are you on Sesame Street? And I was like, no, I'm on Coronation Street. And we've a surprise Emmerdale reunion. There's also a magpie reunion. What was very different about us is, first of all, we were all much better looking. And <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> I never said that. <laughs> I think we were younger than the Blue Peter presenters. You know, just a bit more in tune with the people that watched us. We had seven million people watching twice a week. And Tim Vincent goes in search of Valerie Singleton, bumping into other Blue Peter stars along the way. Stuart Miles, Tim Vincent, as I never breathe. Uh, what are you calling me for? What do you want? Well, I'm actually looking for uh, Valerie Singleton's number, but of course, I'm checking in on you. Trips to Sun Hill and the Bill. Memories of Darling Buds of May, The Tomorrow People, and interviews with classic stars Jeanette Scott and Melvin Hayes, and legendary TV composer Dennis King. Our great sitcom writer series continues as we sit down with Clement and Lafrenet, who penned Porridge and The Likely Lads. That had an instant response. The very next day I was shooting a commercial and nobody had any idea that I had anything to do with it, but I heard them all talking about it and that, that made me feel that maybe we had another hit. And as well as all that, we've got the quiz. Oh, that's amazing. Oh. A bumper autumn of memories. Only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast. I am a journalist and broadcaster and I'm 37 years old. I live in London with my husband. I'm originally from West Yorkshire. About five years ago, I had a single episode of psychosis which led to suicidal ideation. I'm Devon Rees and this is Life Matters. Our very own Nikki opens up to the new groundbreaking Life Matters podcast. Now that I'm older and I look back, I think in my teens, I was beginning to realise that I was bisexual, but I couldn't put a name to it. There were definitely relationships that I had with girls growing up that were more than just friendships, but I couldn't really put my finger on what they were. On top of all this angst, all this pressure that I was under, you know, to perform, I wasn't really able to be myself. I certainly felt like I can't live like this anymore. Our aim with these shows is to discuss solutions and raise awareness of very important issues which touches many of us. This is Life Matters with actor Dovan Rees. Listen within your podcast provider by searching for Life Matters. 
and visit zerosuicidealliance.com for a free online awareness course that could help you save lives. Bisexual Brunch is produced with love by MIM. And if you like what we do, why not support us on Patreon? Visit patreon.com forward slash bisexual brunch. Thank you. Another bisexual brunch uh, personal journey story. And today we're joined by uh, Tony and Anne from Kentucky uh, in the United States uh, of America. It's very hot here where I am at the moment in uh, the UK in Manchester. Um, it's certainly, yeah, the temperatures are rising and I think the temperatures are quite high everywhere at the moment. I, I struggle in this heat, I'm afraid. But where you are in that room that you're sat in it looks you look as though you've you look really cool actually you look as though I mean, it's early morning there is no it's not no it's afternoon isn't it early afternoon so it's one in the afternoon yeah no one in the afternoon. well thank you very much indeed for, for for joining us now um you've got a very interesting story to tell and i don't want to wade in with specific questions that i've got because i've got quite a lot of questions i'd rather you tell your story first of all really and then we'll 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 i'll jump in afterwards so whoever wants to start, how do you know, tell us a little bit about your bisexual journey and, and where you are now with it. But go back, if you can, in terms of your own individual histories. You know, when did you both realize you were you were bi, etc.? Um, I guess it starts with me as a teenager. I was working at a restaurant and became close friends with a, a young girl. And that young girl, <laughs> that turned into a little bit more. And then that that slowly transformed into three and a half years of living together. So, and then I did, I thought I had just completely gone lesbian, I guess if you can say it that way, until I met Tony, who is very proud of himself for switching me back, as he puts it. But <laughs> lo and behold, we, we go both ways now, so that's even better. <laughs> right, so Tony, tell us your story then, in a nutshell, from the beginning. Were you... Did you all always identify as straight until you met Anne? Uh, no, I was. I grew up extremely ultra-religious family, very conservative, in the Bible Belt. Uh, you know where anything other than being the normal straight, married with two point five kids, was going to send you straight to hell. So I knew very early on in my childhood that I wasn't just like everyone else. Uh, that I had an attraction for both uh, girls and boys. And then I fought that all of my life. I hid it from myself. I hated that part of myself. I tried to pray it away. I just tried to be the, the good kid that everyone expected me to be. And then it wasn't until we, me and Anne, were married for 18 years. And that she had dealt with seeing me try to hide it, trying to lie my way out of it, trying to do anything but admit who I truly was. And then after 18 years of all that, me putting up walls, putting up defenses and everything, uh, she finally set me down in a very loving and gentle way and said, no matter what the answer is, I'm still going to love you for no matter who you are. And it was that point that I was able to finally say, um, I'm bi-curious. That was the term that I was comfortable with. Um, and then she totally loved me no matter what. And it just allowed that wall to come down. And then our relationship continued to get much, much stronger because once I was able to talk about that and know that that answer wasn't going to damage who we are as a couple, nothing was off the table. We could talk about everything. And did you know from the beginning when you first met him that he was probably bisexual? Yes, absolutely. In fact, I'd always thought in the back of my mind that one of the reasons why he... Um, 
pursued me, I guess, was knowing that I, at that point, I wasn't bi at the time. I thought I was lesbian, but I think that that was one of the things that attracted him to me. And I knew the entire time because Gadar, you know, <laughs> I could see the way he would look at guys as they walked past, which didn't bother me. What bothered me the most was that he would not affirm that to me for the longest time. Yes. And I would just always try to pass it off as, no, I'm, I'm just very interested in the way that they look, the way that they dress, uh, their body type, because I was always ultra skinny, you know, not very muscular. So I would always pass all that sort of stuff off and, you know, like buy the men's health magazines as, you know, I'm going to get in shape now. And so yeah, just trying to hide it any way possible, but still it was always there. Every single day, always there. Yeah, I mean, it's a long time, isn't it? You've been 18 years together and all that time before. How old are you now? 48. You're 48, same age as me. And how old are you, Anne? 49. 49. You're not supposed to ask a lady her age, are you? Sorry, I do apologize. <laughs> well, you weren't at one time. Maybe you are now in these uh, liberated times. Um, yeah, it's a long time, isn't it? It's a long time to be keeping things bottled up and not to actually either be able to explore it or even if you do explore it end up exploring it and it's a secret or whatever um what do you think that does to you what do you think and what i mean luckily you've got somebody who's very loving and caring and considerate and all the rest of it but what do you think that did to you over time in terms of just your just your general mental health kind of thing it it was extremely devastating to me um suicidal ideology because of it uh, self-doubt, this desire to compensate for this part that I was hiding by overcompensating everything else in my life, trying to make sure that whatever I said, whatever I did was perfect for everyone else. So no one would ever have to think about that could be a possibility. So you overcompensate for everything else. You become uh, ultra secretive, very private. Uh, if anything comes up, you find a way to uh, make sure no one else is questioning you. So you lie your way out of everything that you can that's difficult. It just encompassed everything. And it wasn't until I was able to now from this angle sit back and look, I was like, oh my gosh, my life was so messed up because I just wasn't willing to say I'm bisexual. Yeah, well, we're talking a moment about that special chat that you had, which led to a, a change very much in your your relationship and your lifestyle and all the rest of it, which is really, really interesting. But first of all, what about for you, Anne? How has it been for you in terms of the the whole balance between obviously being in a, um, a straight-facing relationship but also being bisexual? How have you managed to deal with that? Or was it easier for you because you were open, was open about it right from the beginning? It was easy for me, I think. It just, we joked about it a lot. Um, it just... It was a non-issue, I guess. It just was there, and it was always there, so there was nothing to deal with. It was just how it was. Yeah, and then we, got, we, then we started to, like, we would send peop, like pictures of guys. You know, oh, we think this one's hot. Or when we'd go out shopping, uh, we'd come up with a nickname for um, hot guys were peaches <laughs> and hot girls were strawberries. And we would, oh, God, there's a hot uh, peach on aisle two. Oh, gosh, there's a strawberry on aisle four. You know, so it became this thing that we could share, the secret that we only knew about each other, that it was so private and so personal and so loving. 
Was that after you'd sat down and had that chat or before? Oh, yeah. Yes, that was after. That was after, oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, let, let's go back to that chat then. So you must have had so much pent-up sort of angst and wanting, you needed to say something. How did it come about? Was it was it Anne that prompted the conversation or you that prompted the conversation? How did it come about, that proper chat where you laid it all out on the table? It was me because over the years I had discovered on purpose by accident, wink, wink, um, internet history that pointed to searches and things. Okay, fine. I had um, approached him about it several times and I was just sick and tired after 18 years of being told, no, 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 that wasn't me, blah, 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 whatever. I finally, I quieted down. It was almost like I had gone inside of myself and just was trying to devise a plan or what the hell was going to happen from there. So for about two days, we only spoke if we absolutely needed to. And later on, he confessed that he had talked to his secretary thinking that I was about to divorce him. That was how quiet I became. So I finally had written out some things because, you know, when you're upset or in the heat of the moment, you forget things. So I had written out a list of things that I wanted to say. So I brought it all up to him and I sat him down and I was like, just like he said, I don't care what the answer is, but I need it out. You're either this, this, or this, and I just, just admit it. Just for God's sakes, just admit it. So we can just move on. And, and that is exactly what you did, was it? You just came out with it and blurted it all out. Yes. Yeah, it, it was very difficult because at, for the first time in my life, I had to admit it to myself first, out loud. Um, so that was very... I never thought I'd get to that point. I thought this would be something that I would just have to live with in the shadows for the rest of my life. And just be miserable with it. And so at that moment, it was just overwhelming. Just, it was so much stress off my life. And immediately, I'm like you hinted at the beginning, immediately cemented that special bond that you have with each other. Yes. Oh, yes, very much so. That almost instigated a sexual revolution, a second honeymoon, whatever you want to call it. Because for weeks, we were extremely... Fun, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yes, we were much more open with each other. Yes. Yeah, in an emotional and sexual way. Why do you think it took you so long? I mean, I know, I know that, I know that you were, you'd obviously got, um, you know, there are prejudices in society. Bisexuality doesn't get mentioned much. It's erased. All the rest. Of it. I understand all that. But you had got somebody who was hinting to uh, for a while and. You know, she was she was pretty tolerant about different things, and and she'd come to you originally. You knew she was bisexual. Why did it take you so long to actually open up? Do you think? Because of the way I was brought up, that that was the ultimate sin that you couldn't you couldn't pray away, and we were still very active in our church at that time as well. And this is the life that I am supposed to have. I am supposed to have a certain outlook, a certain belief, a certain set of principles, and this doesn't fit into that box. And so I could not allow myself to not be that perfect person that everyone expected. The perfect little Christian child from a family of Southern Baptists. So it was just unbelievable to admit that to myself. Yeah, you've just said that it changed your lives in terms of the physical side and everything, and you were like, an, like it was like an uh, you know, a, a, a re 
sort of discovering of your relationship and a bit like a honeymoon and all the rest of it. Just tell us a bit about that, if you can. I mean, tell us what you mean by that. You know, were you did you end up sort of ex, you know, you mentioned actually about uh, going around supermarkets and um, you know um, playing that little game or whatever. But you know, did it did it actually change your sexual relationship straight away overnight? Do you think it really did? How graphic can I get? As graphic as you want to be. Okay, so. We dis- we didn't discover, we had talked about it previously before he finally was able to come out, but we talked about pegging. We did not realize that that actually had a name. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we discovered a another podcast where that was all they talked about was pegging and, and bisexuality and things like that. So, yes, it very much changed. And I discovered a whole new side of myself. Um, having been in a relationship with a woman, that was how we made love to each other that way with, with toys toys and things. So to use those on my husband that way, that was, it was very exciting. It was a whole new chapter that opened up that was very, very... Rewarding. Re- very rewarding. Yes, and very expensive. <laughs> yeah, it can get expensive, especially if you're trying to be safe and all that stuff, so... Yeah. Now, you're going to have to educate me now. I because I, I have to admit, I don't, I don't know the term pegging. What does that actually mean then? Just what you just oh. explained. I don't know the term pegging. Okay, the term pegging. Who, who was the guy that came up with that? Dan. Dan Savage. Dan Savage, who is a, a sex educator, I think, over here. Um, pegging is actually where the woman will don a dildo and penetrate the man. Yeah. I'm sure Nikki will know what that is because um, <laughs> she's got a history. <laughs> she won't survive me saying that, but I had no idea it was called pegging. Okay, that's interesting. So, yeah, I can imagine that completely altered the, the dynamics and things. And, uh, yeah, and you were both, you were happy with that? You enjoyed that, Anne? Yeah, yeah. I did, yes. Oh. And and with me being more of a submissive, that gave me a chance also with my own sexual being able to trust myself to be a little more dominating with him and with him having a career where he is in such a position of authority and leadership to be the submissive it was exactly what we both needed at different times you know we can Mm -hmm. switch it back and forth if we need to it's awesome yeah so quite a release really in many ways yes very much so then we continued that journey for uh, many years with fantasies talking about the possibility of bringing someone else in And then that continued to develop and develop and develop. And now we're ethically non-monogamous. We're part of what you would label the swinging lifestyle and have been very involved in that the last four to five years. And yeah. Tell us a bit about that then. How does it work? Because we've, you know, until recently, we'd not heard the term ethically non-monogamous uh, we don't the thing the term swingers and all the rest of it, but not ethically non-monogamous. How does it work? Is there something official about it? Do you have to sign some document or something, or is it just an agreement between the two of you? How does it work? And you know, tell me, does the word does that little word jealousy get in between it a little bit now and again? So tell us how how it works, how it's worked for you. Gosh, where do we start? It's ethically non-monogamous in that obviously we're both in the know. Um, for us, our definition is we always play together. There's no going off on dates alone with someone. Um, jealousy. Uh, I don't think we've had maybe a, a twinge or two over the past little bit, but nothing so large that made us want to get out of it. Because we're both there. We're both in the moment. There's nothing hidden about it. 
we never meet or we never really talk to anybody uh, past the first initial hello, hi, that we don't both know about. Uh, when someone meets us on one of the apps or reaches out to us, uh, we discuss it. Uh, we also don't make this a huge part of our life. We only allow cert a certain amount of time to dedicate toward the lifestyle. Um, we are very strict on who we do meet. Uh, we, they have to know that this has to be extremely discreet because we're not out with that and we're specifically not out with the bisexuality. Uh, and it, you get to see your partner enjoying themselves outside of who you are, outside of the joy that you can bring them yourself. And that's truly amazing to watch. It can be a turn on, I suppose, can't it? A big turn. A big turn. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yes. Yes, it can. Yes. And then allows us both to enjoy different aspects of who we are. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have, we only see guys uh, that are bisexual. Um, and there's a huge amount of them out there. Uh, there's a huge community that we have actually developed within ourselves. Uh, you know, we used to go to house parties where there'd be, you know, six couples, a couple of single guys, uh, to larger events where there'd be anywhere from up to 40 or 50 people. Um, so, you know, we've gone to some of the clubs, but the clubs don't really like by play in that when it comes to the guys. So we've kind of stopped going to that because I don't want to go to an event where I have to go back inside the closet when this is a part of my life that I should be out and should be proud of who I am and be able to to make out with whomever I want to as long as they're both comfortable and uh, everyone's on the same page. Mm -hmm. And do you find then that you, you have these encounters and things and that's it? It's it, it's just a one-off encounter and you go on to meet other people or have you, have you got to know people on a regular basis? We've actually, within our little community... We're really good friends with a lot of the couples and a lot mm -hmm. of the single guys that we see multiple different times. Some of these relationships have lasted three to four years. We've uh, gone on little vacations with one of the couples. They've since broken up, doesn't have anything to do with any of this, but we've gone on vacations. We've met um, folks outside of the city. Yeah, we've developed a really good friendship with these folks. Now, you've been together for a long time, so, you know, you've got a lot, you've got a big history regardless of the sex, you know, the, your emotions, your friendship, your, you know, your, your companionship. Uh, I think you've got children as well. Am I right? Or am I wrong in that? So yeah, you've got yes. children as well. Um, so you've got a lot of connections. There's a lot, a lot binding you, isn't there? Um, do you think just from the people you've met and the experience of the people you've seen, you got to know kind of thing, do you think, um, you just mentioned those people splitting up, but it was nothing to do with that kind of area. But do you think the sexual side of things can, do you think relationships can withstand this kind of thing? Do you know, what I'm saying is, I think there'll be a lot of people out there who are listening, who might have thought about this and been considering this at certain times, but um, might be just worried that the, the physical might have an effect on their deeper relationship. Do you think that does happen? Or is your experience that actually these people generally just you know, are of a mindset that they've got their head around it and understand it. And, you know, people generally in the, in the ethical non-monogamy world is what I'm trying to say. If you're doing it the right way for the right kind of outcome, it really can improve your communication with your partner. 
because so much of this comes down to good, adequate communication. Because this is, I mean, it can be life or death when you're dealing with other people having sex with them, STIs, ST, all that sort of stuff. So you have to make sure those questions are answered as well. And then you have to deal with uh, making sure you're extremely discreet on who you meet because people's employments could be impacted. They're standing within their communities. So all of this has to be talked about. Every new person you meet, it's the same conversations over and over again. You get a little bit better at having the conversations, but it's still, you have to check in with your partner constantly about how you're feeling, how's your emotions, how do you feel about this? So as long as you're staying very, very communicative, I mean, it strengthens you, who you are. The sex is just one part of this. Um, it's the emotions that come along with it. It's the joy. It's the laughter. It's the fun. Uh, when you're getting dressed and you're going out to, to meet someone, you know, at nine o'clock at night when you didn't ever used to, by nine o'clock, you're in bed. And now, you know, you're leaving the house and sneaking out. You'll see your kids don't ask questions or try to figure that out. Uh, your, your little routines that you make where you get to reconnect with each other. Um, ours was... It's like being teenagers all over again, isn't it? <laughs> oh, absolutely, it is. Uh, it's wearing like uh, black rings on a certain finger uh, that sort of indicate that you're in the lifestyle. And then you, you wear them out to grocery stores and you're, you're the only one who knows that little secret. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of fun in this um, that we have really enjoyed. But uh, we're going into it with the right reasons. Uh, we're not in it to uh, just check names and see how many we can get. Uh, we truly want uh, friends with benefits. And that's what we're willing to wait for. I will say, I'll, I'll add to that, though. When we first got into this, we were in it for, what, six months? Mm -hmm. And we went balls to the wall. And it, it, it was almost traumatizing because after a while, you're kind of, your head is just spinning. So we got out of it for a while. And then after we got out of it for a while, we sat down and, and really were able to devise that, that plan, that list of rules, if you will, of, okay, we're only going to do this two weekends out of the month. We're not going to do it every single weekend. Oh, and by the way, we can say no to people. So <laughs> we were a little more um, selective, I yeah, guess. I, I can imagine if you've, you know, if you've bottled something up or you haven't had the opportunity to do something or whatever for many, many years. Yeah, you're going to be like that, aren't you? That's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yeah. How has it, you know, we, have, we often have this discussion on Bisexual Brunch about, you know, what tends to happen is most, most, most people who are bisexual spend their entire time saying to others, um, oh, you know, um, people who are bisexual, most people who are bisexual are monogamous you know um as though there's some kind of shame in having sex with anybody else kind of thing as though that's uh, uh, you know not a good not a right good thing and then we we, we had one program that we did and we said look we're, we're going to stop apologizing for this there are people who are monogamous and happily so and got no problem with it but actually there are a lot of people out there that the prospect of, of having sex with only one person for the rest of their life doesn't just does not work it's part of the human being you know kind of thing how much is that release of being able to have um, a sexual encounter with other people, uh, particularly um, another gender, because you're both bisexual. How has that impacted just on you both as individuals, just personally? You know, when, when we talk about a release, what does that what does that mean? What about for you, Anne? How, what's that meant? I don't know how to put it into words. <laughs> it's it's um, I hate to use this analogy, but it's almost a completion. 
something that was missing, okay, that he can't possibly provide that part. And by that same token, I'm not speaking for him, but it feels good for me also to watch him with, with the same gender because I feel like that's a part of him that I can't fulfill. So it's it's almost just another puzzle piece that's kind of over here that just kind of slides in now and then, so to speak. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it, just, it just completes the whole package. And Yeah, I mean, and it's not necessarily that the sex with somebody else is that instrumental in it, but it's something we're sharing together. Correct, yeah. It's the experience that we get to share together knowing that both of us are enjoying this. Uh, she loves to watch two guys together, and so that really, really turns her on. So I know there's enjoyment on that side of it as well. So I obviously like making out with a dude, so there's enjoyment on that side as well. Uh, I like to see her getting pleasure, making out with a, a lady, uh, making out with another guy. Um, so there's a no, there's a win win situation. <laughs> I was inter- I was going to ask the question actually. Do you um, make out with uh, with you know do you and do you make out with other men and do, uh, uh, Tony? Do you make out with other women? So that is in the equation as well. It's not just a case of other genders. It's every it's any gender in that sense. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yes. 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 Yeah, we're equal opportunity. And that's, and that's where I wondered, when I mentioned that little word jealousy, that's where I wondered whether that bit might be an issue because of the fact that you're both such a committed couple together. You might think when there's a, you know, when, when, when there's a straight liaison, as it were, you might get a bit, you might find that quite difficult. Well, that bit of jealousy you were talking about, that there might have been, was it in that arena or, or not? It, it was. It was just when we first started into it and we would meet another couple, if the opposite sex partner was showing too much attention to either one of us, it was like the other person, that they didn't care if the other person was there or not. It was all focused on one particular person. That's not what we're in it for. We're a group package. Uh, there needs to be, um, I know you can't do 50-50 every single conversation that you have, but you need to at least acknowledge that the other person's part of the agreement. And if you're not interested in both of us, then we're not going to work out. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's interesting. And, you know, I hate mentioning the word jealousy because in perfect world, people wouldn't be and they'd be able to get on with things. But we have to talk about it because that's how we, we're human beings. We do feel those emotions sometimes, don't we? Uh, and it's interesting what you say that you actually find... Um, seeing men getting it off together, um, exciting and interesting and a turn on. Because we're often told, aren't we, that men are definitely into women getting, getting it on together. But no one admits to, no woman admits to two, two men getting on and liking that. Uh, what, what do you say to that? I think you're in, a, in, a, in a, a, a part of a secret majority, actually. I think there are a lot of women out there that uh, are into guy, seeing guys, actually. When deep down, if you ask them, you know, what do you think? What do you make of that? Oh, I think it's the most delicious sight ever to see two hot guys getting each other off. It's just, they're both turned on. They're both getting each other turned on. It's just... I, I, <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> it, that's that's just it. It's just awesome. <laughs> I would rather watch I would rather watch gay porn than I would straight porn a lot of times because females, um, and of course in the movie industries, if it's not amateur, the the noises that they make are almost annoying at times because it's so fake. And with guys, guys are not going to. Well, I guess they could, but guys are a little more animalistic. It's just a little more real for me. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and Tony, do you like seeing two women 
getting on as well? I do, yes. Uh, it's not our forte, per se, uh, you know, when we do our normal viewing and everything like that, uh, because uh, she tends to watch, like she said, gay porn. <laughs> and so, I mean, that works for me. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic. Now, let's talk on more serious side about just your the whole thing about coming out. So you both come out to each other. Uh, you're in that kind of you, you managed you managed to explore your sexuality. Um, I think there'll be people who are listening to this who will be very jealous of you. Actually, they would love to be in your situation. Um, so so um, you'll be envied all around, all over the world. But people listening to this, but what um, what's the next stage? And is there going to be a next stage in terms of letting other people know? either your immediate family or friends or work colleagues or whatever, know that you are, uh, you don't have to obviously talk to them about your sex life, but that you're actually bisexual. Is that something on the cards or is it something you're not going to contemplate? Our kids know that both of us are bisexual. Um, that was a difficult decision to make, but it was a very, very good decision to make for our kids. They have no idea about our the lifestyle or nothing like that. We never intend to tell anybody that outside the lifestyle. There's just no reason for anybody to know. Uh, I will probably never admit to the community in general, you know, outside of my family that I'm bisexual. Uh, just the community in which I live, it's not accepted. Um, it, will, it will not be accepted. Just, I just know it. Um, we have told a few personal close friends about it, uh, but it's not something we bring up very often. In conversation, it's nice though, isn't it? For, there are some people out there that know, and I suppose telling your kids is um, quite special as well. We'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. But what about you, Anne? Just generally, in terms of being open, more open about it, are you in the similar similar mindset to to, to Tony? Yeah. Well, yeah. A few more of my friends know about my bisexuality than do his, just because, unfortunately, it's more acceptable for a female than it is for males. Um, yeah, no, I, I think, no, it's not going to be an open, open thing. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it is more seen as more acceptable for women to be bisexual than men? Why do you think that is? I do not want to sound like a feminist. A, 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 anyway, I think that men do tend to dictate a lot of rules around. And I believe that the powers that be are men and then... It is more acceptable for females because, I don't know, it's just... It's there for the men's pleasure. Correct. A it's, lot of times. And if, you, if you're if you a dude who has any sort of interaction with another guy whatsoever, you're labeled as gay. Yeah. There is no in-between. Right. You don't get to come back from that. You're always going to be that. And it's just so narrow-minded that's out there, it's it's great to see with the next generation how accepting they are with this type mm -hmm. of thing, what that's going to, the outcome's going to be from that. And uh, we're, we're hopeful that eventually this will be a non-issue for everyone. Yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Fingers crossed. I think we're a long way from it, unfortunately, but I, I, we're getting there, we're getting mm -hmm. there. So tell us about telling your kids then. How was that? That was that came about almost in a need to know basis. We promised that we would never lie to our children because I believe for raising them compared to how we were raised, he, he was way more conservatively raised than I was. Um, we just kind of told a story now and then as the kids needed to know it. For example, our youngest one had gone through a situation where uh, she thought she was bi, so I opened up. Well, okay. 
I had a relationship with a girl for three and a half years. This is how it went. It's okay. It's, it's totally normal for us. You know, we just, we normalized it in our house very, very much so. Um, and now the oldest one has come out, he came out as bi first and now he has come out as gay. So regardless, it doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. And our youngest one is transgender. Uh, and we have been very accepting of that transition. Mm -hmm. uh, stood up to have her name legally changed to what she selected. Uh, we're totally on board with it. Took a day off to work to go uh, shopping for bras and panties for my <laughs> teenage daughter now. Uh, so it's it's our kids know that irregardless of who they choose to be, we love them. And that's not how I was brought up. I was brought up with very conditional love. As long as you don't stray from this path, I will love you. The moment you stray from the path, you've got to find your way back to it to get my love back. And that's just not how we wanted to bring our kids up. Uh, you live your life. And as long as you're happy, we will love that everything goes. So whoever you want to bring home, no matter what color, no matter what race, no matter what gender, it doesn't matter to us. We will love them. We will put our arms around them. Unconditional. It's unconditional, isn't it, at the end of the day? Absolutely. Um, now, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because you're the second... Um, well, it was, a, it was an individual. It was a guy, actually, we interviewed um, in the last episode of uh, Bisexual Brunch, um, of which um, a chap admitted that... Uh, he, well, he came out as bisexual or, or came to terms with his bisexuality after his son had come out to him about being bisexual. And that's basically what's happened in your instance, in a way, isn't it? So it's the younger generation, in a way, prompting you to finally be open, in a way, isn't it? Um, how, does that, yes. how does that feel? I mean, does it, it feels, I'm sure it feels great and it's liberating and it makes you feel happy because you can do that. But at the same time, do you not think... Well, I think, so we all think, I think to an extent when you're bisexual and not be able to admit it for a long time, all of those years when you weren't able to be like that, and luckily your, your kids have got the opportunity to have a very different lifestyle, haven't they? You know, how did that feel, just the fact that you were able to go back to them and, and say, actually, you know what, we're the same? Mm -hmm. it, it is great uh, as a parent to be able to create such an environment a loving environment where your kids feel hundred percent comfortable. And yeah, a great part of me is extremely jealous of that, mm -hmm. that I didn't get that, that I had to grow, grow up hating myself, who I am and try to find a way out of it. Um, and that I did, I don't have that type of support with my parents. I will never have that type of support with my parents. Um, that's just not going to happen. That's not who they are. It's not how they believe how they were raised. And, so it's, it's extremely emotional. It really is. Um, because there was just so much self-hatred that I endured and allowed myself to endure. Yeah, no, absolutely. And were you the same? I mean, you say you came from a bit more, a bit more of a liberal background compared to, to, to Tony, but was, is, is that how you felt as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we, we had this conversation not too long ago, actually, where I've almost felt, I wondered... Uh, I know the kids know that we're not out in public um, and they do understand for the most part why um, it does feel still a little bit hypocritical to not be out, but to encourage them to be who they are out in the open. 
but they do get it. It's a completely different world that we live in and work in than what they are coming up in. So, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, um, you know, in a way, you're coming out to the world on this podcast. If you're not, you're not mentioning. <laughs> it, you're not, we're not using your real names, but you, you know, you're at least talking about it, which is which is fantastic. And hopefully, that will connect with a lot of other people. Now, in terms of the people you meet, other people you met who are bisexual in the, uh, you know, um, the ethical non-monogamy uh, community. Um, what do you know about them? Are they just to give us an idea? You know, are these people in very similar situations to you? Are they a lot of them in? relationships where they've spent a long time having to coming to terms with it they're not out to lots of people you know i'm just trying to get a sense of because nobody can ever tell us trying to get a sense of how widespread bisexuality really actually is just tell us a bit about some of the obviously you don't need to mention any names or anything like that but tell us a little bit about the people you've met and what what they're going through themselves is it similar it is extremely similar yeah the majority of people that are in committed relationships the only time that they get to talk about or be with other people are in lifestyle type events. There's no one in their spectrum that knows about them. It's all hidden. Um, the, on profiles, lifestyle profiles, um, the majority of them still list themselves as straight. They don't want to list themselves as bisexual because they will automatically, 80% of people will not even look at their profile at that point um, because there's such even within the lifestyle that's supposed to be such an open and loving community, it's, it, you're not supposed to talk about it. Um, and you're definitely not supposed to do it unless you go to a very, very specific type of event. Um, but when you are in an event around people, you can see how happy it is to finally be with people that understand everything that you've been through with this you're finally at peace um you can be who you are you can say what you want uh, you can uh, comment about other people um and you can be happy go on and you give us your your side of that i think he said pretty much exactly what i was going to say I'm, I'm still continuously surprised by how many men are listed as straight on profiles they're so in secret even in the lifestyle world and that's that's just, it's so upsetting to me because they're missing out on an entire part of themselves that needs to be out there. It's, it's tragic a lot of times. We have a friend who's uh, kind of sort of on the subject. His, his son, he's bisexual and we played with him. And his son um, had come out to him as gay but lived in a very conservative Bible Belt area. And when he finally was able to move him close to, him, to himself, his, he had a son with him. The child had undergone so much uh, uh, raising of this is wrong, this is wrong. I, it's so emotional to think about. He committed suicide within weeks of coming to live with his dad. And it was exactly the thing that his dad was trying to avoid by coming out to his son and having his son come live with him. And it's just, it's so disheartening. It needs to be normalized. Sexuality in, in any spectrum needs to be normalized so much more than it is now. And I just don't understand why we're still so secretive about it, so shameful about it. Yeah, and it seems bis bisexuality, <laughs> bisexuality seems to be the most difficult one for some weird reason, doesn't it? Um, I don't know. I don't know where that comes from. And oh well, we just live in a we live in a very binary world, don't we? And, and, and sadly, 
the prejudice that exists is not just within the straight world, it's also within the gay world as well. There's a lot of gay men in particular who don't understand it. You know, I've had gay men say to me, oh, it doesn't exist. And I say, well, you're saying I don't exist then. You know, they're still friends, but they just do not get it. They don't understand that uh, bisexuality exists. And I find it, yeah, it's, it's just, it's weird, isn't it? It's very weird. Um, so your suspicion, both of you then, is that there are a lot more bisexual people out there than we think. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Very much so. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah, we definitely can attest to that. <laughs> now, what we need to invent somehow is a bi-dar, don't we? Rather than a gay-dar, we need a bi-dar, don't we? So we can <laughs> spot them along the way. Because <laughs> that's the problem, is it? You can't, you can't visualise it. You can't walk around the supermarket, like you were saying, you know, spotting the people you fancy and know automatically that they're, that they're bisexual in any way. You know, that's the, that's the issue. Have you ever ventured yourselves into, when you've been on holiday or anything like that, have you ventured into, you know, LGBT spaces, you know, bars or anything like that? Is that something you've encountered or done at all? Not yet. No. no. Well, we've gone to a couple of uh, drag shows oh, yeah. in a town close to us. But even with that, we're very, very can restrictive with what we will do mm-hmm. uh, because there's cameras out. It's close enough for people in that our community know. might be there as well. Uh, no, normally this type of stuff is all in hotel rooms and stuff. Yeah. Now, again, anybody, most people are listening to this will be of some kind of um, ilk in terms of bisexuality or thinking they're bisexual or whatever, I'm sure. But there may be people who stumble across it and listen to what we're doing and start listening and thinking, oh, you know, now we've, we've discussed a lot about sex here. But bisexuality is not just about pure sex, is it? It's also about emotions. It's about affection. It's about love. It's about all sorts of things. You know, I sometimes wonder that, you know, at some point we, we have gay culture, don't we? At some point, I'm sure bi culture will emerge and there'll be certain famous people and certain things that bisexual people do that gay people don't do and straight people don't do. I'm sure it will eventually emerge. But we are talking something beyond just sex, aren't we? Can you explain that to listeners and what what, what we mean by that? What's about, what is it about having that bisexual identity? You know, being able to appreciate different things in different ways. What it gives you as a as an individual, what do you think it you know, what do you think it does? I've never really thought about it. I don't know. For me it gives me a community of which I get to belong that I feel is extremely special and very precious to me. Because being able to say the words makes it okay. And to know that there's other people out there just like me who happen to like both sexes and they're perfectly normal, average people There's nothing abnormal about them. There's nothing wrong with them. They're not broken, which means I'm not broken. Yeah, no, that's really important. What about you, Ann? I think you pretty much said exactly how I would have said it if I'd been able to say it. steal all my answers. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I think we think the same anyway. We've been together for so long. (laughs) Now, just some trivial questions, things that some people balk at and say, oh, why do you ask that question? I ask it because it's a bit of fun, but also people out there do ask these questions. Um, On that Kinsey scale thing, you know, in terms of percentage, in terms of your attraction to different people. How do you both see yourselves? Are you 50-50, 60-30? You know, where, where do you see yourselves? 
60-30, that wouldn't be very good, would it? What's the, what's the, the 10%? 60-40, I mean, you know, where, where would you see yourselves, Anne? Where, where are you on, on that scale, if you were to have to put yourself on that scale? I'm probably 70-30 straight and bye. Did I say that right? Is that right? 70-30? 70% attracted to guys, 30% attracted to women. Is, it, is that what you're asking me? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's yes. Good. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. uh, uh, what about what about you're a two? <laughs> I'm a two. You're a two, right? I don't remember what the Kinsey scale is. One to six, right? You know more about it than I do, as far as that number goes. Yes, I'm a three. Yes, I'm dead in the middle. I'm equally attracted to both sexes. Right. Okay, that's interesting. It's interesting. <laughs> well, three point one. <laughs> <laughs> And what about uh, the kind of people you are attracted to? Because, of course, for a long time, you've not been going out, meeting people. Suddenly you are. That that period when you were, your purple period, as it were, which is quite appropriate because purple is the bisexual colour, of course. You had, a, you had a purple period, didn't you? What did you find were the, the men and the women that you were attracted to? Who were you, who did you discover were those people you'd not, you know... Who were you? Who did you find were your types? What were you? What were what? You know, was it very feminine women? Uh, was it very feminine men? Dominant men? Whatever. What was the? You know, tell us a bit about that. For me, it's it's. I like the differences. I like very feminine women and I like very masculine men, and nothing against anything like that. That's just my individual preference. Um, I prefer a guy. Um, you know, I don't need the six packs, abs, the muscle body. I need there to be some sort of connection. I need to be able to carry on a conversation with you and get to know you and respect you as a person. To me, that's most important. Uh, but yeah, I like, you know, hairy body. I like a little bit of scruff on the face. Um, and I, for women, I like curves. I like laughter i like the way that they smile i like the way that they smell the way that they touch and of course and of course Anne 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 is 100 percent in all of those isn't she she's 100 yes, percent in all the yeah. yes and she's probably gonna steal my answer <laughs> go on Anne. pretty much i mean we've we've um um, we've played with several different nationalities and colors and, and shapes and sizes. But like he said, I think it is more of a, a man's man type with the men and more feminine types with the ladies with curves for sure. For, for both. Sure. For both of us. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we've, we've done very well for ourselves for the last four years with, um, who we've been able to play with. Mm-hmm. and get to know and enjoy and there's a big diversity mm-hmm. yeah we've joked that we need to get a, a globe with little pins with flags just to see where we've been mm-hmm. <laughs> fabulous 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 and you mentioned uh race and things like that um you know we did a an episode right the very first one we did actually of bisexual brunch was talking about um black about black bi men and asian bi men and the prejudices that they face yeah. Because they face specific prejudices to do with sometimes to do with the community, sometimes to do with religion, etc. Um, have you got to know anybody from those communities? And is that is that the story that you get generally that they're really struggling to again be out and open with people? Yes, yes, we we've we've noticed that as well. We have several friends from um, both sectors, um, 
and they're even more discreet with it mm-hmm. uh, than I would be. As discreet as I am, they're they're ultra discreet. They've got that um, intersectionality thing, haven't they, going on where they've got several prejudices all at once they're dealing with, aren't they? You know what I mean? Oh yes, correct. Yes, yeah. yes, it is extremely sad, um, and so they're also normally ex- very nice to be around because mm-hmm. they're finally able to be comfortable with who them who they are and who they're around, and it's just sad to see that that has to happen. Well, listen, it's been absolutely wonderful talking to both of you. Um, Really interesting. Um, And as I say, I reckon there'll be a lot of people listening thinking, wow, (laughs) they've got a wonderful (laughs) lifestyle, (laughs) which is is brilliant. We Uh, feel very blessed. (laughs) Yes. That's that's really good. So what's the next stage then in in your journey? You're doing, you know, very well at the moment, enjoying yourself and whatever. Is there anything that you would, you'd like to change or anything you want to do, anything you haven't done yet? You know, what is there any, I don't, you know, it could be anything. It could be, it could be actually, you were talking about telling people, is there one person that you would really like to tell about being bisexual that you really must tell at some point? Um, sexually, is there something more you want to do? But is there any, anything extra you want to do in your, you know, bisexual journey up to now? I think, and recently this started where we have become more, mm, more careful with where we spend our money when it comes to charities and who we're giving our money to. And we want to be able to uh, do pride with our kids. And I think most of it, the outpouring that we're going to do is going to be more focused on our kids, making sure that they're feeling comfortable with their journeys because they're still, they're still getting to know who they are. And so we feel very open with being able to uh, give money to the Trevor project um, go to Pride, uh, put a bumper sticker on our car, or wear a T-shirt uh, that creates the community that we want our kids to be able to flourish in. And is your is your uh, your your kid who came out as bi have have they experienced sort of issues around being bi? I mean, I know the world is amongst younger people tends to be a little bit more liberal minded, whatever. But as we all know, bisexuality is still misunderstood across the generations. Have they have there been issues that they've had to come up up against along the way so far? There there are. Uh, my family, of course, wants nothing to do with them, and we're perfectly fine with that. Uh, we don't we don't need to associate ourselves with people that are not going to respect who we are. So they know that you, the rest of your family know that they're bi. Do they? That you're. Yes. Yeah. They our kids were able to come out on a social platform, um, and so. They they were very comfortable with doing that for themselves because we had created an environment for them that they could they could do that. Yeah, but it must but it must it must it must hurt them that okay you're supporting them, but the fact that other members of the family don't that must that must hurt to an extent. You know, probably hurts, it does. It hurts, it does it hurts hurt. you, doesn't it? Because of that, it does. It it does. It's it's still very very painful to watch because we're still going through that. Um, their their friends and their family. Uh, yeah, there was some questions. And there was some friends that they lost and they wouldn't associate with themselves anymore. But I would say probably 70% of their support system was extremely supportive of the decisions. Um, we're right on board. We're willing to come to them in a, in a drop of a pin to help them be there for them. And it's been very great to see. Yeah. Fabulous, fabulous. And the final question then. Um, being bi, 
What is the best thing about being bisexual? For me, it's being able to live this journey with someone who is willing to walk this path with me and loves, loves me for who I am and for being bi. And you are? Exactly. Yeah. And the last question, you steal my answer again. <laughs> we share everything. What's yours is mine. <laughs> well, that's true, isn't it? Couples do grow close and become like each other after a while, don't they? Let's face it. That's uh, right. You've been together for a long time, so it's, it's, it's bound, to, bound to happen. We're, you know, me and my partner are exactly the same. I end up saying things, and he'll say something two seconds later. And it's like, oh my God, we're, we're thinking about you know the same things all the time. You know, it's quite amazing. <laughs> um, do you think it would have been different? I mean, you're very lucky because you're both bisexual. But most people who are bi are probably in straight or gay facing relationships. Um, it took you 18 years to get to this point, but it might have taken even longer, might it, if you'd been in a straight or gay facing relationship? I mean, just reflect on that. I mean, that's quite you know. Can you imagine there must be loads of people going through that? Yeah, I'd never, without Anne as my bride, I never would have been able to feel comfortable enough saying it out loud. Absolutely. Well, well done, Anne, on um, managing to finally get him to, you know, be open up to you. Um, I think, Thank you, you know, that is, that is tremendous what you did there. And because that takes a lot as well, really, doesn't it? You know, to be able to actually have the courage to do that. Because you could have been, I mean, I knew, I knew you know him very well, but you could have been in a situation where it could have gone the other way, couldn't it? In the sense of just actually meeting each other and talking about those things. It might have had an opposite effect in the sense of he could have been quite, suddenly quite sort of horrified that you were happy about it or something. I know that sounds stupid, but people do. No, you know. I don't think it sounds stupid. And, and sitting here reflecting about it, I don't think I would have walked away Unless he had come, I'm trying to think. I couldn't have made him do something he didn't want to do, but I don't. I think it did take 18 years for me to do that as well. For him to be to be able to know that he was in a place finally to where I could get him to open up. Yes. Does that make any sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Absolutely fantastic. Well, I admire you massively. Thank you very much indeed for talking to um, uh, Bisexual Brunch. Thank you. Well, thank you for having us. All right. Thank you very much. You're listening to Bisexual Brunch. So Bisexual Brunch continues and we'll definitely have the very first proper of our Ask a Bisexual features next time around. I know we promised that we'd uh, do that this time, but me being poorly has sort of got in the way. So uh, listen out for that next time. Now, there's been a bit of a backlash for Wikipedia, apparently, this week because they got mixed up between pansexuality and bisexuality whoever had written the piece on wikipedia basically said it was one in the same thing um are we bothered oh this is so interesting so something i did in the virgin series was really talk in quite a lot of detail about whether it was time to use pansexual rather than bisexual because it is a debate that goes on and something that I've thought about sometimes, you know, I feel very comfortable using the word bisexual. That's my identity. I'm attached to it. It makes sense to me. But I'm also, I'd never want to be that person at 38 that is getting any younger and is getting behind with the times in terms of where, uh, where the movement is. So what are the terms that we should be using? You know, we should evolve, right? We never want to get so fixed in our sexuality that we're not open to using other terms to describe ourselves. I, you know, I wouldn't always want to be able to question what, how, what I call myself. 
So I, we did a lot of investigation on this. And what became apparent is that they just come from two different schools of thought and they mean slightly different things that are distinct. So the other thing about bisexuality is people don't really understand the history of how we came to the term bi. You know, it wasn't a limiting either or. It really was just kind of more than one. And that we've got to get across to people because I do think that affects who will use it, who's slightly younger maybe than our generation. What was the... What was the how Pan came into it? Because I kind of get the bi story, but I don't get the, the Pan story. Yeah, well, Pan is just people looking at etymology and saying, oh, well, bi looks like it works for two and Pan would describe all, so therefore we should, we'd should we be better using Pan. So it kind of right. comes up at the same time as a, more, a greater exploration around gender fluidity does. So mm-hmm. it, has its, it has a very distinct origin and it's obviously got a very distinct and positive purpose, but it doesn't mean that we all have to switch to using Pan from bi. I think is the most important yeah. thing to say. And we're not old-fashioned for using bi. We're not cutting people out for using I have it. no problem with pansexuality at all. And I think, you know, I could describe myself as pan, pansexual in certain ways, probably. And, you know, if it was in a particular mood, I don't know. But I, Lewis probably would probably agree with me on this. I just feel as though, for some reason, and I don't know what it is, everyone seems to want to run away from the word bisexual. And it's like the word bisexual has been around for a very, very long time. Um, I think most people, to an extent, know what it means. They might not understand it completely. They might have lots of myths around it and all the rest of it. But we seem to have this 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 sexuality that that's been around for donkey's years. You know, Oscar Wilde was actually bisexual. All these people, really, you know, quite famous people from the past were really bisexual. But we seem to have a problem saying the word. And before I move on to say, yes, I probably could be about pansexual or whatever, I feel as though I want to own bisexuality. What do you think, Lewis? Uh, I 100% agree. And I think it's, it's maybe when you've been in what feels like a war for, for your identity for so many years. And, you know, trying to be apolitical about it. It's like, you know, now just because the liberal side is like, oh, well, we've evolved our thinking on this. So now you're kind of behind on times. But doesn't matter. You're still trying to take this word away from me. I don't care what your intentions are, whether they're nice or evil ones. It, it's, it's indiscriminate. It's, this is my identity. This is how I identify. And I, I could be totally wrong, but I think it's, it's kind of how you interpret things as well. For me, I've always kind of taken the, the buyers attracted to more than one. So that can cover a lot. But also that gender kind of like does play a role in, in the attraction. Whereas with Pan, I've always interpreted that as like, it's it's the person, not the gender. And that I know that that kind of sounds confusing, but it's like, for me, Pan is more about like, I like you and your physical body and gender and everything is just irrelevant. Whereas for me as a biped, it's like, no, I kind of love your femininity that's coming across. Or I love your masculinity that's coming across. Like it's part of the attraction for me. And that might be totally just my interpretation of the words. That might not have any resonance, but that's just how... I've always kind of interpreted it. I think the other thing is, for me, is that, you know, there's a whole generation of people in there, you know, the older people in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond, who will have known about the word bisexual. And secretly, they probably realise they are bisexual and would love to embrace the word bisexual. Um, I think we need to make sure that word exists to help them through um, their period of coming out and acceptance and all the rest of it. I think if we start muddying it with even more terms not that there's anything wrong with those terms but i don't think it's going to help 
in terms of them accepting themselves. Um, that's what worries me. Uh, that be, it's becoming such a mishmash of stuff that certain people, certain elements of society, big numbers of people in society, are going to get confused and left out, and that I don't think is helpful, really. Well, I know there's this argument that we really should be post-gender. This is kind of the incoming thought now, isn't it? That we've got to stop talking about gender. And that is just not how lots of people think and live. It might be the future of how we think about it. It might be incoming. In 20 years' time, we might just absolutely have got rid of bisexual and use pansexual. But in the meantime, the words that we use, like bi, still have resonance for people that are living their lives now. It's going to sound terribly conservative saying this, actually, but I don't want a bunch of people left without a label and without without visibility of who they are. That makes me uncomfortable. It's such a tricky one, right? But I think this is the thing. Like, you... In... In the past, we could have had this, it would have worked fine. Like, this kind of generation over here is still using this language. This younger generation over here is now using this evolved language. And it will catch on over time. But now because of social media and, like, outrage culture, like, people are just being thrown in uh, and having, like, these fights and arguments. It's all becoming terribly something it really doesn't need to be. And I do, you know, as someone that's pegged themselves a bit of an activist, I do think sometimes you have to kind of step back and say, look, but... If we push too far in one direction, you're going to alienate all these people. And then then what's the point? And now it's just kind of like, well, they're bigots. We don't care about them. And it's like, well, tough. We're going to have to because equality is only as strong as its weakest link. We have to win the arguments with everyone. We have to go in to the bifones and go talk to them. We have to go to the panphones and go talk to like So it's very complicated. And I do think that just the modern world we're in just does not help. I don't know whether... Well, I, I, I'm kind of losing hope a little bit. I just don't know if it's all going to work out with a happy ending. And I've always thought that the human race in my life, I was like, it'll all have a happy ending in the, in, in the end. It's, that's what the films tell me. But right now, I'm just like, I just don't know if this is all going to work out. Um, Lewis, you did say a while ago, didn't you, that you've stepped back from the whole bubble, the media bubble, the, the social media bubble, all the rest of it, in order yeah. to get some reality check, in a way, on what it is to be bisexual, as an ordinary person kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? Just explain yeah. that to us if you can. Yeah, well, I just, sometimes I feel like in the liberal London bubble we're in, like we're arguing with each other over things that people just outside of here just wouldn't understand. It's just like, what are you talking about? Why are you going so far down this rabbit hole, literally screaming at each other over this when I can't even hold hands with my partner walking down the street in Birmingham? And stuff like that. And it's like, actually, like, what are we doing here? Because if we are in London and in cities and just because of where we are, like, leading, I don't know if that's even a thing anymore, but, like, leading the kind of, like, steps towards this, we can't just be in our own crazy little bubble. We've really got to represent people and, and, and think of the people that can't come out or, as I've said, like, won't come out. There are some LGBT people, they will never come out. And we need to think about that as uncomfortable as it is and how do we help them? Um so yeah, I just try and take a step back because it is such the LGBT world, it will suck you in and you'll be going mad about these arguments and also looking at people that just don't really matter to the average bi person. And I think that just trying to keep it real makes you resonate with those people because that's my audience. I don't really care about out by people that are angry on Twitter. They don't like me. They're not my audience. My audience is positive people. So it's about figuring out what's going on with them and what, what they're thinking. Right. We're going to end now, but usually we, usually we end, usually we end with uh, finding out what uh, 
Lewis is up to for the day. But as it's a special day for Nikki, I think we should uh, end with. So Nikki, what's well, go on, throw it to Nikki. What what's going on in your life today? What are you doing? What what are you doing after you finish on this call now? Right. So I'm going to dress up as Alice in Wonderland, get some champagne, go to Vauxhall Pleasure Gardens, which is as gay as it gets around here. Have a lovely time there. End up in the pub. Have 25 friends round, take the dogs, and hopefully tomorrow I won't have a hangover. Fabulous, good stuff. Well, good luck with that. Have a fantastic birthday. Okay, well, that's Bisexual Brunch for this week. If you've got any comments, thoughts, musings, do get in touch with us at, at Bisexual Brunch on Twitter. And thank you for listening, and we'll see you later. Bye for now. This program is an MIM production. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.